we're going to talk about being great. I firmly believe that deep down inside all of us, we all want to be great at something. Maybe it's something big, something small, but we all want to be well above average at something. Some, sometimes it's the important things in life. Maybe it's being great at parenting or your career. Other times it's more trivial things like, I don't know, video games or being great at the dishes. That's something you can be great at. We all want to be excellent at something. Sometimes it's a lot of some things we want to be really good at. Because of this, we spend a lot of time and energy on these things. But why do we have this desire? Do we want to be excellent at something because we believe in the activity, because we think it benefits others and ourselves? Maybe. But maybe we want to just feel better than someone else. We, we like that feeling of superiority, knowing that we are better than someone. These are good questions to be asking as we reread our passage today. We'll hear the disciples arguing over who is the greatest, something that we can probably relate to on some level. I mean, think about it. Who would want to be a mediocre disciple? I wouldn't want to be, so I get it. They're starting from a place of wanting to be excellent at what they do, what they're called to do following Jesus, but they've gone down a path of self-righteousness. And just like the disciples, we seek greatness too. But what are we really seeking? So let's turn to our passage for today, Mark 9, 30 through 37. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. So Mark 9, 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This morning, we rejoin Jesus and his disciples as they're making their slow journey towards Jerusalem. They've left the mountain where Jesus was transfigured and the spot nearby where the boy was healed, that we talked about last week. And Jesus wants to spend some good quality time with his disciples. I'm sure they had a lot to talk about, there were some glowing clothes they could talk about, uh, maybe why the disciples couldn't heal that boy. But instead, Jesus has something more important than the past to talk about. He starts to teach them, and he foretells his death and resurrection. Now, this is the second time that they've heard this message, so this isn't brand new information. But the first time they heard it, 
Peter rebuked Jesus, and then Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. So it's pretty fair to say they probably could hear it a second time. They'll end up hearing it a third time, too. They don't realize it yet, but Jesus has just defined greatness for them. He's given them the answer before they've even thought of the question. He's shown them that greatness is defined by God's sacrificial love. It's defined by God's sacrificial love and not by our desire to be better than someone else. We'll come back to this because Jesus has more to say about it. But their response into hearing that Jesus will die and that he'll rise again is a bunch of crickets. Silence. They're silent because they have no idea what's going on. Maybe they don't get it. Maybe they don't want to get it. Maybe they're in denial. You'd think the second time might be a little easier to hear. But no. Here, their silence is deafening. This prediction that stumps the disciples, it's really quite poetic. I love how Jesus words this. We read it earlier. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands. This misses a little bit of the wordplay that's going on. Um, So it can also be the Son of Man is going to be handed over into the hands of men. The very people he came to save are the ones who will betray him. It's ironic and terribly sad, as real irony is. But the prediction does not end in despair. Between Jesus rising from the dead and him conquering death, fulfilling his role as Messiah. But the disciples can't focus too much on that. They get stuck. And instead of asking Jesus what he meant, or even silently contemplating it in their hearts and minds, they decide to have a different conversation. They start discussing and arguing about who is the greatest. I have no idea what kind of conversation that is. What does that look like? Are they creating a ranking system? Are they recounting all the tales of all the things they've done? You know, hey, remember that time I healed the guy who couldn't walk? Like, oh yeah, I remember the time I healed two blind men. Oh yeah, well, I healed three lepers yesterday. What what does that look like? (laughs) After second service, someone came up to me and imagined Peter, James, and John saying, hey, do you guys remember when Jesus was transfigured? Oh, wait, you weren't there. (sighs) Right after Jesus had told them that he would be betrayed and killed, they start to fight over who's the greatest. Not only have they missed the point completely, they're gloating about what they've done instead of listening and understanding what Jesus will do. And what he is doing. They care so much about themselves and their own status. They can't understand that Jesus has already told them what greatness is. Sacrificial love. Now in the first century, the Roman Empire, status and honor were everything. It's not an overstatement. Your status was who you were. And that's the realm you belonged in. So if you were an artist... You belonged to the realm of the artists. 
And if you went over to the farmers, you were out of place. That was wrong, to say the least. And then there's Caesar. In the Roman Empire, Caesar is status. He's the one who allows you to have status. He allows you to exist. No matter where you stand in society, you are below Caesar. So Jesus reframes this a bit, has been reframing this, and the disciples are trying to grapple with that and to come to terms and figure out where do they stand in society. They want to know that they're great and they want to be treated that way. Now this concept of status and greatness may seem a little ridiculous, the conversation between the disciples, but I assure you that this is a concept that is alive and well. It's celebrated and talked about daily. I actually feel very confident in saying that it's daily. All you have to do is start watching ESPN. Doesn't matter what sport, if you start watching and listening, you'll start to notice that athletes aspire to be a certain four-legged creature. That's right. They want to be a goat. Not just a goat, the goat. It has nothing to do with animals. It's an acronym. The greatest of all time. But they'll go out there saying that they want to be the goat, or in some cases, that they are the goat. And yes, there are many debates over who is the greatest. Maybe you know some of them. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Babe Ruth or Willie Mays? Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi? You have athletes out there who claim to be the greatest. Muhammad Ali. But when it comes to hockey, there's not a lot of debate because they have the great one, Wayne Gretzky. His nickname is literally the great one. So you can't talk about greatness without talking about Wayne Gretzky here. I won't bore you with all the stats, but he does hold 61 official NHL records and countless unofficial ones. And here's a good picture of how great he was on the ice. In hockey, there's a stat called points. Don't worry, I won't lose you. Points are goals plus assists. You add them together. So it's how you've contributed to your team's scoring. Wayne Gretzky holds the record for most career points, 2,856. And if you don't follow hockey, that number means nothing. <laughs> Give you some context. If Wayne Gretzky is at 2,800, second place comes in at 1,800. A thousand points less. Now you may think, maybe Wayne Gretzky, he just played for 80 years or something. Nope. The second place person played 400 more games than Wayne Gretzky and has 1,000 less points. So yes, his career was one for the record books. Makes sense on why they might have called him the great one. But what truly made him great wasn't his accomplishments on the ice. It was how he talked about it, who he was. He didn't go around bragging about what he had done. Whenever asked, you know, about how'd the game go, he pointed to his teammates. He knew that they were the reason he could be out there. Whenever he was awarded trophies or, you know, those fancy awards before games, 
he despised it because it took away the time that his teammates had come to play hockey. In a great story, when uh, Wayne Gretzky and the author of his autobiography are trying to get everything out there, um, gives a good picture of humility. Sports world doesn't always know what to do with humility. Gretzky, seriously, you've got to go into a little more detail about yourself, I'd moan. All right, all right, he'd say. What year are we up to now? 1984. I didn't do that, do much that year, did I? No, not really, except you led the league in goals and assists, won the Hart Trophy, and you won the Stanley Cup. Good, go with that. Now what happened in 85? That's Wayne Gretzky. Of all people, he had every reason to gloat about his accomplishments. But instead, he chose to lift others up. While he may have been given the title of the Great One because of his skills and accomplishments, and it was given to him, he didn't name it himself. He was able to keep it because of how he acted and how he brought others up to his level. This puts the debate about greatness in a little different perspective. Worldly status is not what truly makes someone great. It didn't make Wayne Gretzky great. It didn't make the disciples great. And it definitely didn't make Jesus great. Greatness is found in how we relate to others through the sacrificial love of God. This means that excellence is not a bad thing to search for. In fact, it's exactly what we should be striving for. The problem is that we, like the disciples, we don't define it correctly. So we don't search for the right thing. So we need to start defining greatness, not in terms of ourselves and our own accomplishments, but in terms of others. This is why Jesus puts a child before the disciples. In that society, children had no status. It's not like today, where they're precious and protected. For them, they had no social standing. They're on the same level as, and were often used as, slaves. So bringing a child in the conversation about status is no small matter. Jesus is telling the disciples that the world has it all wrong. He is lifting the lowly up to his level. To say that the disciples should welcome a child in order to welcome God completely disrupts the social hierarchy that the disciples had been fixated on. You welcome someone into your home who's above your status. For someone to where it is an honor for you to have them there. For Jesus, he says the only way to invite and receive the true great one, God, is by welcoming those with no status. There's a stark difference between the value that Jesus and the disciples are putting on people. Frankly, it's a little embarrassing for the disciples. The search for greatness leads us to focus on others, especially the ones the world does not focus on. This means that we can't be great by ourselves. We just can't. Being excellent in the kingdom of God requires other people. Not only that, but it requires that we serve others and are actively engaging with them. 
The disciples were trying to define greatness in terms of themselves. And that's what we try to do all the time. We compare ourselves to figure out who is best. Jesus redefines this conversation is how we relate and serve others in the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with status and everything to do with community. This entire conversation comes from one very important fact. God is the only one who is great. And it has something to do with what he does, but everything to do with who God is. We can't argue about who is better than who, because God's the one that tells us what it means to be great in the first place. It's not up to us. Jesus is great because he is God, and because of his sacrifice, because of what he did for the world. It's not based on popularity, or because he could do miracles. Jesus is great because he did miracles for people who needed miracles. He's great because he invited tax collectors and prostitutes to every sinner he could find to eat at his table. He's great because he's God. Because he welcomed those without status into a place of honor. Now the largest and most impactful, the most communal display of this greatness was when Jesus died on the cross for humanity. The very thing he, he told his disciples about before they started arguing. It was on the cross that he gave everything he had so that we might be free. Died so that we might have life. And that, that is greatness. It's the model that we have. Giving our lives so that the lives of others are transformed. We're called to be people who spread the transforming love of God to others, to form community. And in that, greatness is found. So yes, the disciples were deeply misled in their search for greatness. But the search wasn't the problem. All of us should be searching. All of us should want to be great. We want to be excellent at something. We just need to be clear about what are we really doing with that? What are we actually pursuing? We need a kingdom definition of greatness that points to our relationship with others and our relationship with God. So what does greatness look like for you? Where do you find your greatness? Are there places you find yourself arguing, either out loud, maybe in your mind, about your own excellence? How is that keeping you from growing closer to God and being transformed by the reality of the cross? This morning, it's my prayer that we all become great, but not in a way that compares us to others. I pray that we'd be great in the way we seek to live and act like Jesus each and every day so that the kingdom of God might be on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.